Welcome to Inside Economics. I'm Mark Sandy, the Chief Economist of Moody's Analytics. Uh, and look who it is, Mr. Dorides. Where you been, Chris? Hey, Mark. I've been over in Italy, visiting family, yeah. so happy to be back, though. Missed yeah, the podcast, missed, missed all of you. So. Yeah, we definitely missed you. We talked about crypto. Were you on the crypto podcast? Did you, you miss that I was. One? I was. Oh, you were I made a special one. effort to, to join that one. Oh, that's right. Yeah, well, we were glad to have you. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But uh, it's good to have you. Uh, and the sabbatical was good. It was. It was. Yeah, that yeah. worked out. So how long were you? You were gone for like three weeks. Oh, felt like three years. Jeez, oh. only three weeks. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I know Ryan missed you. Yeah. Very yeah, much. You have someone that uh, can't answer his uh, his uh, statistical riddles. So, yeah, that's you. That's oh, you. did you keep up? Did you? Uh... I thought I did pretty well, actually. You did really well. You were on a hot streak. I, I, did. Chris I was on a hot streak. You missed it. Oh, wow. Missed okay. Chris. Yeah. I just miss having someone back me up when going yeah. back and forth about interest rates and housing starts. That's true. That's true. Well, um, we got a lot to talk about with the tenure today. So there is a lot, lot to talk about. Uh, and uh, well, you've heard uh, Chris's voice. He's the deputy chief economist, and also just uh, Ryan, Ryan's voice, uh, the director of real time economics. And Ryan has received a order uh, from our producer Ben. Ben has told Ryan not to mute himself. I'm not going to go into the reasons why, but uh, apparently that's a dangerous thing in your household, Ryan. It's very dangerous because my uh, children are going to come from home from school any minute. It's got, oh, it could well, get loud. It could get. That's okay. I'm I'm all, all for right. it. Yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah. Uh, I've had my problems with my dogs, and who knows? Uh, so, and uh, we also have our our colleague Bernard Yaros. Bernard, good to have you back. Uh, you were on our podcast not too long ago, a couple months ago, back maybe? in May. Uh, back in May, ah, so it's a couple really? months ago. Yeah, wow. long ago. Wow, I can't even believe it. Yeah, yeah and, yeah. and uh, Bernard is a Renaissance man. He's the guy who can speak, if you can recall, like ten languages or something. One which is Arabic, right? He like he like roamed around Yemen for a year or something. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I have that right, right? Yes, yes, yeah. 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 <laughs> and also, he's a. I don't know if he still plays the uh, squash, but he's like uh, legendary in the Philadelphia. <laughs> Uh, squash courts uh are you still like king of the squash courts here in philly or i have not uh i, I retired my racket uh, several years ago actually when i started at moody's so a month when i started moody's uh, into like my my job here at moody's i tore my achilles and for like the first oh, year right. at the job i was you know limping around with a boot and you know crutches and all that and after that i, I never wanted to play squash again so you know at one point i was a pretty good squash player yeah, no, least, I, we, we used to play at the same mind. club, uh, Berwyn, right? Yeah, uh, yeah Berwyn. I love Berwyn. Yeah, Berwyn. yeah, yeah. I, I'm gonna, I gotta go back. I haven't played yeah, in such yeah. a long time. I miss it. I really do. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great, a great sport. Great sport. Yeah. yeah, really great yeah. sport. And Bernard <laughs> uh, uh, follows everything related to the federal government, and of course, uh, that's kind of front and center here uh, in the public discourse around uh, the uh, budget. Uh, Debt ceiling. Uh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Bernard and I wrote a paper about that recently. That's on the economic view and um, government shutdowns and the reconciliation package. A lot going on there. Oh, uh, so that's the big topic for today, really, or, or I should say, policy in general, right, Ryan? Because the Fed had a meeting this week, this past they did. week. Uh, we want to talk about that as well. So let's just say that the big topic today is policy, monetary and fiscal policy. So we'll get to all of that in just a few minutes. 
we had a marathon podcast uh, last week on the global supply chains, and that lasted, I think, an hour and a half. So I think well, that's a little long. Don't you guys? I don't know. I got yeah, mixed reviews on that. So we'll, we'll try to keep this one a little shorter than an hour and a half. Although with Bernard on, who the hell knows? I mean, <laughs> you know, he goes on and on and on, but we'll, we'll, we'll try to rein him in. Uh, okay. Uh, let's talk about the statistics and, you know, we, we play a bit of a game here, right? Uh, Bernard, are you going to play this game with us? Of course. You did. Yeah. yeah, of course you are. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And Ryan as increasingly uh, per tradition, he's going to lead the way, right? Cause he's the king of these statistics. So, uh, Ryan, what's your statistic of the week? 17. I don't want to give you the units because it will give it away, but 17 Seven, is 17. 17. 17, and it, it's a statistic that came out, <clears throat> excuse me, this week. It did. 17 uh, days on market? or oh, Bernard, good job. <laughs> In what? The existing, wow. Uh, the number of days a existing home has been on the market uh, before it sold in August was 17 days. Bernard, Anything? Ryan gave that to you. He no, said I did that not. To you. Nope. Nope. What the heck's that all about? I mean, he said 17, <laughs> and he just got like right, went right. Because I knew that's if impressive. he said days, we'd all know immediately what. Right. Oh, that's what right. Is, so. And I, that's a statistic that generally would come from Chris, not from Ryan. It's yeah, I, I, was, I picked that one because I was like, let's ease Chris back into this. Here's something housing related. Right. He's a little rusty. Yeah. Makes uh, a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. So but what, 17 so, is also the, uh, the, uh, Debt, the size of debt of uh, of households. That's where my mind was at. <gasps> Ooh, Seventeen. That's what? a good one. Seventeen trillion. Seventeen. That is right. That's right. But that wouldn't have been fair for Ryan just to say seventeen without the. Tr well, no, you're right. He said, "I'm not going to tell you the units." Right. So, if I said trillion, right. you would have known that right away. Okay. So, so uh, what's the significance of the seventeen days on market? So even even though the housing market appears to have cooled a little bit, demand remains very very strong. It's it's more a supply side issue. Uh, you know, kind of like last week, we talked about all the supply chain issues. Housing supply is very, very lean, particularly for the existing home market. And that's starting to, you know, cut into housing demand because affordability is is dropping. But if you have it, if you own a house, you put it on the market, it's going to sell very, very quickly in this in this current environment. Although I, I think it, it has cooled a bit, hasn't it? A little less quickly than sort towards the beginning of the year, right? Because it doesn't yeah. feel as frenzied to me yeah. right now. Yeah, right. sales have cooled off. But I think yeah. that's a reflection of uh, lower affordability because house prices are rising quickly. Uh, but still, existing home sales are above well, well, well above what we saw pre-pandemic. Yeah, right. Chris, you uh, concur with that uh, diagnosis that Ryan just gave on the housing market? I do, but I am concerned that things are slowing down on the demand side. On the demand side as well, as prices continue to rise, those affordability issues come into play and. We see signs of buyer fatigue and you know, people just giving up and saying, I'm going to sit this one out after having lost 10 bits, right? So I think there's some of, I, I agree that supply is, is the larger factor, but uh, demand is starting to weaken as well as my, my read. Did you notice that the share of sales that are going to first-time homebuyers is now falling off pretty quickly? Did you catch yeah, that? I did. I did. Yeah, from both the realtors' data and from, uh, I believe FHA, they report this is a on the secure on the loans that they uh, insure. Uh, they uh, can identify whether someone's owned the home 
within the past or has purchased a home within the past three years. If they haven't, they call them first-time home buyers. And the share of loans that are insuring that meet that qualification are declining. So it looks like first-time home buyers are really the biggest casualty of this surge in housing values and the decline in affordability. Yeah, supply at the lower end of the market is especially tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. right. Some, cooling, some cooling in the housing market is a good, a good thing as long as it, it's orderly. I mean, the, the housing market yeah, yeah. over the last year was pretty unhealthy. Well, here's my question. What happens when mortgage rate? I mean, all this has happened without any move in mortgage rates, right? Mortgage rates are still at record low, below 3% for a 30-year fixed rate loan. What happens when mortgage rates just move up a little bit? and conflate with these higher house prices. I mean, I don't know. It makes me a little nervous about the market. The adjustment here is not going to be that easy, I don't think. No. Yeah. That's the trigger we've built into our forecast, right? So we yeah, have exactly. house price growth really decelerating dramatically once uh, interest rates start to rise even 25, 50 basis points. So. Yeah. Yeah, good. And you, Chris, you you brought up uh, seventeen trillion. Is well, tell us what that was. Uh, that because you're right, it was seventeen trillion. Seventeen was trillion that? is a household is that your debt? statistic, or do you have a different statistic? Or you, I have a different one. Okay, good. Yeah, let us know what. So, what was? Tell us about the seventeen trillion. Okay, the seventeen trillion is household debt, total household debt, as reported by the Federal Reserve earlier this week. So, eleven point three trillion was uh, mortgages. So that's still the the dominant. Uh, piece of it. It's rising, but it's not rising as quickly as assets uh, overall. So my statistic actually- household's own. Yeah. Yeah. So my statistic actually was 19.6%. Oh, is that the growth in net net worth or something? Yeah, that is the growth in net worth. So it's related. Ah. And net worth is the value of what people own less what they owe. And you're saying that's their wealth, that you know, net worth yeah. is wealth, uh, yeah, assets, and less liabilities, and that's growing by nearly 20 almost 20 percent a year, uh, 23 trillion dollars in just one year. That's incredible. let me ask you a question Do you think they include crypto in there? Do you think they capture crypto in that? That's just data from the Federal Reserve, right? This is the f- this is the financial accounts from the Federal Reserve that just came out the Q1, excuse me, the Q2 2021 data. I bet yeah. they don't pick up the crypto. What do you think? Well, supposedly, right? There's an other assets category in there. It should be. Yeah. There. We should look but at that. Is that growing really it. fast? I'll take a look. I'll take, take a look. look. Yeah, yeah. I'm really. I usually ignore it, but. Uh, yeah. You're right. It right. Might be, uh, they might not be picking up, you know, all that movement in the, on the crypto side. Cause I think, wasn't the statistic there's $2 trillion in crypto outstanding now? Something like that. Yeah. So yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. There actually okay. was another 17 in that report, which oh. also stood oh, out wait. to me. In, in, in the financial accounts in, from the Federal Reserve. In the Reserve. financial accounts, which is really important, which was uh, deposits. Household I was going to say that, by the way. Yeah. I was going to oh, say that. I knew, I knew you would. <laughs> <laughs> and that just blows my mind that. as well. $17 trillion in essentially cash sitting in people's bank accounts. That's Yeah, that goes to the excess saving because people have been sheltering in place and all the government support. What was it before the pandemic? Do you know? Oh, I don't. Uh, I know. Yeah. I know. Over the last year, it grew. Well, I guess this is before the pandemic. It grew by about two trillion dollars. So, two trillion. Well, that's pretty close to our estimate of excess saving. I think we're excess saving is the uh, saving above which 
people have, would would have done if there was no pandemic. And so we don't know that what that exactly would have been, but that's our estimate. I think we yeah. we are estimating 2.5 trillion in excess savings. So take 500 billion, invest in crypto and stock market and housing. That leaves you two trillion for your for your deposits. <laughs> that all that all adds up. It all works out. All right. It all works out somehow. You see how we do that, yeah, listener? You know that's how economists that's how economists make all the numbers work. Yeah. Um, okay, so so we got to your statistic too, then, Chris. Yeah, yeah, we folded that in. So we folded. So let's that move on in. to Bernard, I think. But can I ask on just yeah. just to flesh that out, just a big picture esque? So what is the big picture that that you uh, that you got from the financial accounts data? The it's it's really the financial accounts from the Fed is uh, the balance sheet of the economy. They look at the balance sheet. Everything else we tend to look at income and. Everything else, profits, that's kind of the income statement for the economy. This is the balance sheet, assets and liabilities. So what was the big picture you know, takeaway from that? Yeah, so households in aggregate are in great shape, right? Perhaps the greatest shape they've ever been in, in terms of uh, asset, you know, asset growth over the last year has been tremendous, $23 trillion. And liabilities, although they've grown as well by about a trillion dollars, right? It's still relatively small compared to that asset. So... Um, that makes me quite optimistic. And then those deposits, right? Those liquid deposits being at $17 trillion, that's a lot of uh, yeah. powder that can come in right back into the economy at some point, certainly provides some, some support to downside risk. What's missing from this report, though, is the distributional accounts. We'll get those in about two weeks. And I suspect what we'll see there is an awful lot of skewing still, right? The gains and, that we're talking and, about here in equities and house prices are... Really distribution accruing. accounts, meaning looking at assets and liabilities and that worth for along the wealth distribution. Correct. Low Correct. wealth households versus high wealth households. Yeah. That's That's right. pretty cool so, data, actually. It's very cool data great. to look at. That's very timely yeah. as well. Usually it's, when we've done those studies, we've had to look retrospectively. Yeah. You know, it, the financial accounts also provides a window into kind of the, the businesses balance sheets, the corporate balance sheet. Did, did you have, happen to take a look at that as well? Any any big picture takeaway from that? I saw some. Uh, I didn't do a deep dive into that, but I there was some growth in um, in uh, debts there as well, but not uh, not excessively so. Yeah, it seems as that. though the uh, business is cooled off. It. Yeah, they're not taking on a whole lot of uh, new debt, which again gave me some encouragement. Yeah, you know, I don't take as much encouragement. You know that it, 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 what happened, I think, is if you go back into the, the teeth of the pandemic a little over a year ago. Debt surge because corporations took took down a lot of their credit lines because uh, they were wor- worried about liquidity the that they zone. might run out of cash because of the pandemic, mm-hmm. and now they're just letting those lines you know get drawn down. But the level of debt, corporate debt, is still very very high compared to pre-pandemic levels. So I'm not sure I'd take too much solace in it. Yeah, at least it's not moving up. At least it's not moving up. Yeah, good point. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. That's an excellent point. Okay. Okay. Uh, and. Uh, Bernard, you're up. Uh, what's your statistic? All right. So my statistic of the week is uh, $2.9 trillion. And the hint I'll give is that this is policy related. Oh, thank you for that, uh, Bernard. <laughs> that, was a, that was a big hint. Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. $2.9 trillion. And my guess is it's got to be federal government related. Kind of it's fiscal yes, situation, something related to the fiscal situation, right? Mm. No? Oh, okay, no. no. Okay. Or, not, yeah, right. not, yeah. Okay. It's not that. 2.9 trillion. 
No, nothing. It has nothing to do no, with the debt. No fiscal. Okay. Well, you know, the American Rescue Plan was 1.9 trillion. The reconciliation package they're debating in Congress is 3.5 trillion. That's not 2.9 trillion. Well, I'll uh, give you a further hint. Uh, okay. Uh, the source is the Joint Committee on Taxation and the Ways and Means Committee. Oh, so you're saying this is the tax revenue uh, that they're going to raise to support the $3.5 trillion exactly. in... Oh, okay. Exactly. So explain yeah. explain the number for you. I, I I spouted it out, but go ahead and explain the number. So the number there, I guess you can decompose the number into two things. So about two point two trillion would be the tax increases that the House Ways and Means Committee, which are essentially the tax writers in on the House side of of Congress, um, that they're proposing. And then there's about $700 billion that would also be, uh, uh, the other, other part is the $700 billion that would come from prescription drug reform. Um, so all told you get about $2.9 uh, trillion. Um, and this is to, you know, roughly to offset the roughly $3.5 trillion reconciliation package that's, you know, it's, it's now being debated. Um, right now we've really only gotten sort of drafts of the legislation from the House but uh, we still have yet to really hear details from the Senate. Um, and, you know, this is a bit tantalizing because it's, it's really, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's what, what the Senate wants is what's, what the ultimate legislation is going to be, end up closer to. But already from what we've seen in the House Ways and Means Committee is that they're, the tax increases that they're proposing are just not as far reaching as, you know, the ones that uh, Biden proposed. So a couple examples is, you know, they're, they're only raising. Well, wait a second, wait a second. Wait, 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 wait. So the $3.5 trillion package that's kind of being debated, that's, that's about a trillion less than what Biden proposed, right? Yeah, he proposed exactly, 4.5 yeah. trillion. So they don't need to raise as much revenue to I, make yeah, it all work I, yeah. out. Okay. Exactly, so now we're yeah. at 2.9 trillion. And of course, this is over 10 years, right? So Yes, over 10 years, yeah. So if you look out past the 10-year horizon, you know, assuming they do everything they say they're going to do and future lawmakers stick to the script, they'll, they'll roughly pay for it, right? Exactly, yeah. The, yeah. the $3.5 trillion will be roughly paid for by the tax increases or mm -hmm. in other But there's still stores. some major wild cards because there are also Senate Democrats that don't like the prescription drug reform proposal. Um, there's also, we, we still don't have the SALT deduction, which is a very costly measure. And, you know, that that is something that could be introduced, you know, towards the end in order to get the well, final bill. Uh, although we did hear yesterday from uh, Speaker Pelosi and uh, Senate Majority Leader Schumer that the Democrats have agreed, quote unquote, on a framework for tax increases that will pay for the 3.5 trillion. We just, we just, at this point, we don't know what that is exactly. Right. Yeah. It, that was, it was just a very wishy-washy statement. It's, it's, uh, yeah. it seems like they are understanding to, too. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. But still okay. there, there are a couple of changes, you know, I think a couple of distinct changes from what the ways and means is proposing as opposed to Biden. So, you know, under Biden, the, he was proposing the top corporate tax rate to go all the way up to 28% from 21%. House Democrats instead are proposing it to raise it to 26.5. Um, I'd say our baseline forecast is that mm -hmm. that even goes down to 25% to be in line with what Joe Manchin uh, has proposing. So right. that's, you know, that's what's in our baseline forecast. Also the top capital gains rate, um, <clears throat> Biden 
in his uh, in his budget proposal called for you know for raising it from 20% to 39.6% whereas again democrats are only looking at for an increase to 25% so it's much less than uh, you know what the biden administration was doing was was proposing and also you know their democrats are not going as far as biden did in terms of you know proposing greater tax compliance and even reforming you know international tax rules yeah and uh, i think so at the end of the day at the end of the day, the three point five trillion is not going to stand either, right? I mean, when it no, gets no, our, our assumption right? is that that gets whittled down to two point five trillion dollars. And you know, yeah. uh, next week when we discuss the the October baseline forecast, we may even bring that down to uh, two trillion. Oh, you see how he front runs us, guys. <laughs> He's front running us, saying, "Oh, uh, look, I, I'm going to propose this. Get ready for it." Seeding so the field at, here. Yeah, so so the Senate is got the reconciliation in the House got a package of three point five trillion in tax credits and spending increases over a ten year period. Uh, and just given the politics here, Joe Manchin, the the Senate Democrat from uh, West Virginia, who's very moderate, uh, has said, "I'm only willing to support a one point five trillion dollar package." And right now, we are assuming that they. Sp- these guys, you know, everyone splits the difference and we land at 2.5 trillion. 2.5. But you're saying, well, maybe that's even a little high given the politics here. Yeah, that's the, that's the sentiment I'm feeling okay. right now. All right, fine. Yeah. That's, that's uh, you know, let's, let's have that discussion and debate, but 2.5 trillion. Okay. Um, well, that's good. Uh, I've got a statistic. I got three statistics that all relate to each other. And I have to give you all three because it'd be too hard if I just gave you one. Uh I know that sounds a little weird, doesn't it? Uh, These are all hints, by the way. All right, you ready? Uh, And this is a statistic that came out this week, uh, and it's a monthly series, so it comes out every month. Uh, 0.9, 0.2, and 0.1. Any ideas what that is? 0.9, 0.2, and 0.1. You can ask me questions. I know. I should know this. You yeah, that means you know it. Yeah. No, no, I'm thinking. Are you sure it came out this week? <laughs> I'm, I, I was getting worried this before. I've kind of done a head fake, but no, no, no. It, this it, one is. I this came out this week. Yeah, I think it came out towards the end of the week too. Yeah, recently. It's a statistic that people generally. It, it's an important one, but they don't. When I say statistic, a release, let's say, that comes out, people don't generally follow it that carefully, uh, but I find it quite informative and I'll explain why once you guys fail to figure it out. Um, you know. well, thanks for the confidence. Uh, yeah. Is no this confidence. the St. Louis financial stress index? Or? No, no. 0.9.2.1. So it's three different statistics within this particular release. You tell me when you give. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think if I can give you another hint. Uh, so you said business people, cycle? Oh, I know. It's cycle? the conference board leading, leading index. Ah, yeah. So what is it, Ryan? Leading indicators, conference board. What, what's the leading indicator? A point nine. A point nine. Point nine. What's the point two? What's the point one? Oh, uh, come on! Hey, I'm getting one at this a time here. Like I'm, I'm spoon feeding you, man. <laughs> All right. Coincident no, indicator and yeah. the lagging oh. indicator, right? You got the got you. leading indicator, the coincident indicator. This goes to where we are in the business cycle. Uh, and uh, the uh, leading indicator is a compilation of 10 different statistics that tend to lead uh, 
contemporaneous economic activity. The coincident indicator is four indicators that are intended to that are combined to to reflect what's where the economy is currently, and the lagging indicator is what what it sounds like. It's a set of indicators that uh, are, are a, a bit lagging, which are also important because you know once they are definitively showing the economy moving in one direction or another, you know you're done. But uh, I found um, it uh, uh, took some solace in it because it was a very strong increase, 0.9 in the leading indicator. That's a big increase in the month. Uh, and uh, all but one of the comp- 10 components actually rose. So that's a, an encouraging sign. Uh, and a coincident indicator I find useful too, and that includes um, you know, personal income, less transfer payments, jobs, industrial production, a measure of, uh, of sales, of business sales, because that uh, does a pretty good job of, really does a good job of pegging you know, where you are in the business cycle. And I use this as a, a way to assess whether the economy is in recession, in recovery, or in expansion. But expansion meaning that the level of the, of the indicator is above its uh, you know, pre-recession level. And right now, it's strongly indicating that the economy is in recovery, but has still a way to go to get back to pre-pandemic levels. So it's in recovery. It's not in an expansion. And I really find the lagging indicators particularly useful because, again, it's proof positive of, of where you are in the business. You know, if you've made a turning point in the business cycle, either down into recession or back up into into recovery. So I, I, I do watch it pretty carefully. Yeah, very, very useful. Ryan's a little, he's just struggling. Oh, that's not a, that's not a good indicator. No, it's a good one. I, I, I look at it, that one too. You do, you do look I at don't, it? Yeah. I don't look at the lagging indicator as closely as you do. Yeah, I like that one. There's, you know, what's in there is uh, commercial industrial loans. Those are businesses, uh, what uh, business loans that banks make. And I find that to be particularly useful. And inventories also, you know, very, very useful indicator. Okay, uh, before we move on uh, to policy, uh, I, I did want to call out uh, uh, some of the statistics that we've been watching on a regular basis. Two of them in particular. One is the uh, is uh, the ten year Treasury yield. Uh, so that has been making a move again recently, Ryan, hasn't it? Over the last two trading sessions, it's up thirteen, fourteen basis points. So we're at one point four five percent on the ten year Treasury yield right now. Yeah, pretty close. So it's it's been quite the move over the last couple of days, and I think part of it you've seen inflation expectations move higher, coinciding with the increase in oil prices. But it seems to be more of a delayed response to the the Fed meeting on Wednesday, where they signaled. Yeah, that I don't get that explanation. Delayed response? I mean, there like a lot to digest. They're drinking their coffee and like <laughs> ah, I don't know what to do. Oh, let me make up my mind. Let's let's do it. Really? Is but that what you remember? Said? The trading session closes not that long after Powell gets done speaking. So yeah, it's possible. I mean, I I have a hard time yeah. trying to explain what else would have driven a move. What yesterday. about the debt limit? What about the debt it's limit? Too early, too soon. Really? You think so? And usually the debt ceiling goes the opposite way. It push long term rates lower. It's short, hey uh, Bernard, what do you think? Do you think uh, the that the markets are starting to react to the debt limit yet, or the debt ceiling, or not yet? You think? I have seen some, like if you look at 26-week treasury bills that are maturing in late October, early November, you are starting to see a kink in the in the yield there, which is which is uh, indicating that there's you know uh, investors are trying to avoid some of those bills that are uh, maturing around the potential drop dead date, where there could be you know a, a potential default scenario or delayed payment scenario. Um, yeah. But it's nothing to the extent that we saw in 2013 or 2011. Yeah, so still. Early. But again, the longer we get to uh, 
you know, to, to that date, um, it, you know, the more we're going to see movement there. Yeah, I guess I guess I can't, it's hard to read too much in any one two day movement of bond yields anyway. Right. There's so many technical factors going on that we it's very difficult to discern. But it, you know, what well, the bottom was what 1.15, 1.2. Mm-hmm. So we've moved off that. We're still well below the 1.75 that we were back in, I believe, March of this year when we thought the economy is really rip roaring. But uh, now it's starting to move back up again. Okay. And, For now. and Ryan, you, you think For it's now. going to continue to move higher? Through the rest of the year? No. I think it's going to head back down. I think the debt ceiling will take some steam out of the bond market. Oh, just oh, you're saying just the opposite of what mm-hmm. I'm saying. Yeah, if you look at back like 2011, 2013, you know the, the initial thought was when you get close to the debt ceiling, interest rates are going to rise. Yeah, but it's the opposite. The bond bond market starts pricing in the uh, the apocalypse, and rates actually go lower. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, you, I think, did a study back on the 2013 debt limit. And rates rose. You said six to ten basis points. He doesn't even Bernard. He doesn't even remember his own That's, study. No, I remember that. <laughs> I thought we were. I thought study. I looked it was at like actually a damn good study. Yeah, it was looking at the cost to the taxpayer of the debt ceiling fight, and I think we, we used, used short term rates as well. I think it was all in. But I can go back and look. But yeah, take a look. Yeah, if I had to bet, ten years coming coming back down over the next few months. Okay, so you're saying okay, there's two countervailing forces here. One will lead to higher rates. And that is, I'm nervous that I'm not going to get paid on time. I'm Mr. Bond investor. Therefore, I'm going to start selling or I'm not going to, I'm going to stop buying as much yields rise. And the other countervailing force is the one you're describing. Well, the debt limit is bad for the economy. It's going to take steam out of the economy, makes it less likely the Fed's going to raise interest rates, take some takes the knots out of potentially out of inflation expectations because of the weaker growth. And that lowers your yields. And you're saying, if you if you were if you had to take one side of that or the other, that is it, it's it's the lower yields that's going to prevail here. The worries about growth. Yeah, yeah. I think we'll get we'll get back some of these gains in the tenure over the next few weeks, and then towards the end of the year, we'll see rates rise as the Fed actually begins to uh, taper their 120 billion in asset purchases. Hmm. Interesting. Right. It's going to be a little bit of a to? roller coaster ride. It all it all depends on what happens with uh, Washington. I mean, if they botch. And we have a government shutdown or a nasty debt ceiling fight, they're not going to taper. Sure. Yeah. So that's interesting. So you're saying uh, if we actually have a nasty debt ceiling battle and we come up right to the, we head towards the, the uh, drop debt date, which we'll come back to when we get to this is a mm-hmm. big topic. The Fed's going to delay when it starts its tapering, and that will be a reason for lower yields. Yields will go down. Correct. Interesting. Okay. And this isn't right. the beginning of a taper tantrum. Like, this is very orderly. This isn't 2013 all over again. Right. It's communicated so, well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you going to say, uh, Chris? I said it was communicated well. Uh, yeah. Probably. It was very clear. Yeah we'll, yeah, we'll come back to that. Okay. Interesting. Um, I, I don't know. I, that makes me even more nervous because policymakers see interest rates go down. They go, what are you, what are you economists talking about? I, you know, and raises the odds they actually do breach the debt limit default. Interesting. Uh, okay. The other statistic we've been following that I want to call out is unemployment insurance claims. Uh, Chris, that was your, that's been your statistic. It, it, yeah. it's been, it actually moved back up 
in a pretty definitive way last week, right? Yeah, 351,000 last week, up from 335,000, so wrong direction. Uh, and then if you look uh, at some of the state-level detail, uh, Calif- uh, was it California and Virginia had some of the largest gains. And so that suggests at least that COVID, the Delta variant, may be playing a role here in terms of uh, deterioration in the economy, people having to to uh, apply for insurance due to that weakness. What about Ida? Any, you know, we had this hurricane blow, blow through during this period, scrambled things. Do you think that played a role at all? Could you see it? I don't know, Ryan, you look at this really carefully. Did you see it, Ida, in there two, at all? Two weeks ago. So yeah. we went from claims that were like 308,000 up to 330, somewhere around yeah. there. That was That's Ida. Because uh, mm-hmm. you look at Louisiana, you saw a big increase in, in unemployment insurance benefits there. This past week that Chris referenced when we went up to 351, Louisiana actually saw a decline in unemployment yeah. insurance benefits. It's California, oh. it's Virginia. There was okay. no Hurricane Ida effect. Okay. So so should we be at all nervous about what's going on with UI claims? You know, it's kind of look, 350 is a high, you know, our kind of breaky, our, our benchmark for really good is at least 250, right? We debate right. it, but say 250. Yeah. So we're 100K above what we consider great or good, and it's moving yeah. up a little bit. Or is it just up. you know the data? A little bit of a noise. If you look at the four-week moving average, it's a it's flat. So okay, it's, you know, I would say it's in the yellow zone. It's caution, yeah. but um, yeah, assuming COVID, uh, some of the re- more recent trends continue, we get some improvement there. We should see some uh, some pickup in, in in employment, and that should uh, temper things down. Type, okay. Uh, tap things. Why, why last week's number was important is it includes the September payroll reference period. And if you look at claims between August and September payroll periods, it's flattish, like Chris described. So it would, at face value, suggest that we're not going to get you know a big bounce back in job growth in September. Yeah, I was going to say that. So what do you think? Are we like in August we got a gain of 250k, I believe, in the mm-hmm. payroll. I mean, in the month before we got a million. The month before that we got a, close to a million. So August was really disappointing. So what do you, I mean, are we lining up for 250K or maybe it's not hard that to say. I, I'm still digging into say. it because yeah. we have the hurricane Ida effect. So yeah. it's going to take me a little bit longer to pinpoint that number. Yeah. Okay. All right. Hey, I, I, Chris, I want to ask you one other thing. The I believe the state level employment data came out for the month of August and we've been yeah. scouring that data to get a sense of whether the Supplemental unemployment insurance program has distorted, uh, you know, decisions by workers to go back to work. There's been a lot of debate about that. The July data showed that there was no difference in employment growth in states that uh, held on to the supplemental UI to the to the end to the it ended in early September compared to those states that ended the supplemental UI early, uh, leading to the conclusion or at least the tentative conclusion that. The supplemental unemployment insurance had no meaningful effect on uh, the job market; that it wasn't constraining job creation. Did Did you look at the August data by chance? Yeah, I, I did, and uh, you did. Okay. colleague uh, Adam Kamen's also had a really nice write up on the economic view uh, on this topic. So, if you want uh, more details, uh, but uh, the August data uh, also refutes the notion that uh, extended UI benefits holding back this surge of of employment. We just didn't see that. So if you look at uh, employment from May to August, 
across the different states. You actually see that uh, employment growth was weaker in those states that uh, that ended the uh, extended benefits uh, early, right? So again, refuting this theory that if we if we cut the benefits, then folks will rush back in the labor market. Uh, and actually, the the bottom ten performance eight of the la- of the of the worst performance in terms of employment growth were those states that uh, that had uh, terminated the unemployment insurance benefits oh, early. So is that right? Oh, geez. Yeah. So it's just the opposite. You know, there are some other factors. I won't say it's different. Yeah, sure. You have to control for a lot of things, but at least on the surface, there's very. I don't see any evidence to suggest the opposite. Right. Mm-hmm. It seems like a policy mistake uh, was made here to to mm-hmm. cut those benefits early. Okay. Anything else to add on that, Ryan? That point. That question. No, I, I agree with Chris that you know yeah. we for rank ordered why people are not in re-entering the labor force, and that was at the bottom of the barrel. I think right. number one is childcare issues, and then right behind it is concerns about COVID. But what right. is interesting, if you look at some of the summaries of uh, corporate earning calls, they are blaming UI benefits. Are they? No, yeah. mm-hmm. really. It's like it's like this discon- disconnect between the data and what you hear. The anecdotes. On, on, yep. Yeah, I go with the data. I of agree. course, I say that with some trepidation because it could be revised, I guess, right? Yeah, so yeah. we'll see. Hey, before we move on to policy, monitoring, fiscal policy, one last uh, topic I wanted to ask about is uh, what's going on in China, the Evergrande uh, uh, kerfuffle. This is the big real estate company, Chinese real estate company that uh, I guess is defaulted now, right? They missed a debt payment, I believe. They're in a grace period when they can kind of make it up, but it doesn't look like they're going to. Seemed to be creating some consternation in markets. The stock market was down a few days, ostensibly because of the, uh, who, who knows, but ostensibly. Um, any uh, uh, points you want to make about that? Any any uh, insight uh, with regard to Evergrande? Do you think, let me ask it this way. Do you think there's any connection between what Evergrande, what's going on in China and what it means for the U.S. or the rest of the global economy? Any, anything at all? I mean, were stock investors right to be worried about this? Chris, do you have any views on that? I think it's part of that broader narrative in terms of concerns about the opacity of data in, in China overall, uh, right? And so this is a manifestation of some of those concerns that, you know, there's more below the surface than what we're seeing. So I think that is certainly continuing to drive investors away or think twice about uh, investments in China. Yeah, there was a clear market reaction, but the good news is the high yield corporate bond spread, it didn't you know, blow out. It didn't increase substantially. It did widen, but overall, it seems like the corporate bond market took the Evergrande issue in, in stride, the U.S. corporate bond market. Yeah, I, I find it hard to connect the dots, certainly uh, directly connect the dots between Evergrande and you know, the obvious broader stress in uh, related to the high leverage in China and the U.S. economy, uh, or even the global economy, I, I assume there's indirect effects of, you, you know, uh, Evergrande uh, suggests that the Chinese economy is going to grow more slowly because it has to ad- uh, adapt and adjust to the, to uh, kind of righting the wrongs it's uh, uh, been engaged in with regard to overborrowing, but uh, those are more indirect. I, I don't th- see them as a direct effect. You would agree? Anyone yeah, I agree. disagree with that? Unless okay. it really causes a sustained response in U.S. financial markets, but why? What's the why? I, would I'm it? saying I don't think it would, but that's the only yeah. dot that yeah. I can connect. But yeah, there's no 
there's no that uh, Evergrande has three at least uh, the re- reports are 300 billion in liabilities debt, and uh, it doesn't appear that the U.S. or uh, other developed world financial institutions have any real exposure to that. That's mostly that's almost entirely domestic. Correct. So the other thing I'd say is. I can't imagine Chinese authorities allowing it to get to a place where it's going to do any real damage to the Chinese economy. I mean, they, they, you know, they have bailed out other companies. So if it looked like this is going to be a systemic problem, meaning the default on that debt takes out Chinese banking institutions and other financial institutions, and this becomes kind of a self-reinforcing, you know, mess like our own financial crisis a decade ago, Chinese would step, Chinese authorities would step in right away. I, I would think. I, I can't imagine they wouldn't. So. Hard, hard, hard to see, hard to see the fallout here, um, but but anyway, okay, all right. Uh, let's turn to policy. Let's uh, begin with monetary policy. And the Fed met uh, this week, and uh, you know, um, uh, kind of advanced the ball on their thinking around QE and their uh, forecasts around uh, future uh, rate increases. Uh, Ryan, I, you you follow the Fed closely. Uh, you want to fill us in on what they what they said and what your interpretation is of what they have in mind here going forward. Yeah, of course. So the the all eyes were on any indication that the Fed was going to uh, you know uh, announce any tapering plans. They didn't, but they took the you know the long anticipated first step in their uh, uh, advance notice. Uh, that tapering is coming, and that was included in the statement. And uh, it seems like they're going to start tapering either in November or December, depending on what happens in financial market conditions, what happens out of DC. Uh, but it seems like we're headed for an eighth month, eight month tapering process. So roughly fifteen billion reduction per month in their asset purchases. Uh, the other notable thing in the uh, the FOMC's. Uh, Meeting was they released their updated summary of economic projections. This includes their projections for GDP, unemployment, inflation, and the so-called dot plot, which shows uh, participants' uh, expected path of the Fed funds rate, and they're divided. So nine participants expect the first rate hike in 2022, and nine expect it in 2023. Yeah, and the Fed funds rate is the rate they control. So you're saying Correct. they. Uh, of there, I guess 18 members on the Federal Open Market Committee (FOMC), that's the policymaking committee of the Federal Reserve, said that they think the first rate increase will occur in 2022, and nine said first rate increase in 2023. So it's kind of Correct. evenly split. And and our forecast is still for what January of 2023. Correct. And that's January. where I think. The Powell's, the Brainers, the Claritas, yeah. the ones that really matter on the FOMC, uh, I think that's where they are right now. So the, the, those dots are not all equal. The, They're not. One dot is not as uh, heavily weighted as another dot. It's uh, every every summary of economic projections. I kind of put names on dots. So, so when your wife asks you what you do for a living, you say, I look at dots and I decide, exactly. you know, which dot is uh, Jay Powell and which dot is uh, uh, Brainerd, uh, Brainerd yeah. and Kaplan and so forth and so on. That's Bullard. what I do for a living. Oh, yeah. That's what I do. <laughs> and people pay yeah, you got- for that. <laughs> well, you ask me what's going to happen to interest rates and you got to know whose dots who's. Bernard, can you imagine that's, that's what someone does for a living? Can you imagine that? Kind of looks like my first graders' artwork. <laughs> Pretty funny, actually. 
Yeah. So on QE, quantitative easing, that's bond buying. They've been buying $120 billion in treasury securities and mortgage-backed securities a month since early on in the pandemic. And they're now signaling that they're going to start ta- so-called tapering, which means reduce the amount of bonds they are buying. And, and right now, you think they are that, pro- that process of reducing the bond buying will be, will be when? Is it December of this year? December of 2021? I think it's, I think it's November. They, they want to wrap this up by mid next year. And if you listen to Powell's co- uh, press conference, yeah. and yes, of course, I listened to Powell's press conference and put names uh-huh. on dots. He kind of had like a wink, wink moment where he was like, you know, he was reading between the lines. It seems like he wants to go in November, barring you know any issues on the debt ceiling and at least a decent September employment report. Yeah, I suspect though, you know, just you know, I you know, who knows? But I suspect that the September job number is going to be on the soft side too, uh, going back to the UI claims and given uh, other d- evidence that Delta has done some real damage here to the economy. And uh, also this, this uh, brinkmanship over uh, government shutdown and debt ceiling, that's going to be like, that's going to be pretty messy, I think. Don't you think? So don't you think the odds oh, yeah. are pretty high here? I, if I were them, I, I, why wouldn't you wait a month just to make sure we're on the other side of the debt limit and the government shutdown and we're on the other side of the Delta? I, I, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? Well, I, th- I think that's why we keep our forecast. I mean, as oh, of today, oh, I think oh, it's okay. possible. So our forecast is still December of 2021. I, I would not change it. Yep. You would not change it. Okay. I think they want right. to go in November, but in reality, given all the headwinds over the next few weeks, it's going to be December. Right. Okay. Um, anything in the uh, in the statement in the uh, forecast that they put out in the in, in Powell's press conference afterward that surprised you, or you know, you just said, "Oh, that's interesting." I, I I didn't know that, or that that's an interesting way of looking at it. Anything like anything? Nothing. That nothing that out? jumped out. I mean, I think they they are still buying into the transitory argument. They revised higher their forecast for transitory uh, argument. Like nobody knows what the temporary. heck you're talking about. All right. Temporary uh, what? I'm getting there. Okay. Sorry. It's, Go ahead. I get impatient. Bernard knows. Did, did you have your Wawa coffee yet today? <laughs> the problem is I had too much Wawa oh, coffee. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> so inflation has accelerated noticeably this year and it's transitory factors. So temporary factors are behind the increase. And as those fade. So the reopening of the economy, the supply chain issues that's driving used car, new car prices higher. Once we're on the other side of that, inflation is going to moderate. It's going to slow down. And the Fed boosted their inflation forecast for this year, just reflecting new data that came in. And they really didn't adjust their forecast for inflation over the next few years, which has it coming back down towards their 2% target. So they're not wavering yet on the, the transitory inflation view. Hey, um, I got a good question. One more question on monetary policy and we'll get to fiscal policy. Uh, how would you define transitory? What What is transitory exactly? When does it become non-transitory or persistent? <laughs> That's a great question. I get that one a lot from clients. So I think-, I think I've got an answer, by the way. Yeah, I want to compare mine to yours. To yeah, yeah, go regard. ahead. I say uh, nine to 12 months. Oh, you actually have a time. There's a mm-hmm. time dimension, nine to 12 months. Oh, where, where are you approaching this? You're talking about the rate of inflation? 
I'll, 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 I'll let you know in just a second. I just want to, I want to hear what uh, Bernard and uh, Bernard, of course, have a different definition of transitory. I was thinking 12 months, so still. 12, well, so what does that mean? So you mean Less 12, than 12 months, months from now, inflation has to be back to target or? No, no, it's got to be moderating. Moderating, yeah. Definite, yep. and, your, and your forecast is for it to get back to target. Yes. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's my definition. That oh, okay. inflation expectations are, you know, stable, firm. People believe still that inflation is going to come right, you know, is going to come back into the Fed's target. And the other is, it's a kind of a more fundamental definition. The other is uh, labor costs. That you know, if labor costs meaning wage growth less the growth in productivity or unit labor costs, use a technical uh, description of labor costs, that that's stable. That you know, it's not accelerating in a definitive way. So if those those two conditions are holding, then this is transitory. It's, it's going to fade away. You know, inflation is going to come back there. It may be six months, it may be nine months, it may be twelve months. It could be twenty four months, but I still view it as transitory. You know, it's not persist. It's not going to be a persistent elevated level of inflation. So, you know, because I I don't you know I'm not sure if it's nine or twelve or eighteen. So what do you think of that way? Of I'm surprised about by that. You don't oh, put really? a time. I thought you would have a time dimension on transitory. Because I got you pinned as an inflation hawk. I am an inflation hawk. So if really? you were on the Fed, I know yeah. exactly what dot you would be. Really? <laughs> <laughs> well, so would I be into 2022 or 23? Yes. Yeah, I'd be in 22. I would See? be in 22. You're right about that. Yeah. Um, but I'm a, I'd be a flexible hawk, I think. I mean... The facts, like man. realistic, yeah, yeah, realistic facts, model. man. Yeah, okay. All right. Well, let's, uh, anything else on monetary policy? Anything else? No. Okay. I mean, uh, if you want to go international, the Bank of England meeting was pretty interesting. Oh, they, why? They uh, really boosted their inflation forecast, and unlike the Fed, they're getting nervous about inflation. So a rate hike this year is on the table for the Bank of England, and they're also doing something different than the Fed, where they will start raising interest rates before they start reducing their monthly asset purchases. So we kind of have hawks. You know, yeah, exactly. Kind so of what's the deal there? I don't know. Kind of reminds me of what the ECB did back in was it 2013 when they saw the first whiff of inflation and they started raising interest rates and then we know what happened after that. Yeah, that's crazy, huh? All right, um, that's good to know. Um, all right, my, uh, fiscal policy. So uh, uh, Bernard. Uh, how scared should we be here, right? I mean, we've got uh, the government is going to shut down on August 1, excuse me, October 1, the start of the new fiscal year for the federal government. If there's not uh, a piece of legislation that provides funding, at least for some period of time. Uh, and by our calculation, I should say your calculation, um, uh, by October 20th, uh, the Fed, excuse me, the Treasury will run out of uh, of cash uh, to pay everyone on time. Someone's not going to get paid. And actually, I was looking uh, at data you put together on October 20th. There's a big payment to Social Security recipients. I believe a 20 billion dollar payment on that day, and they not they October might not get tw- paid. Uh, it's uh, October 15th. You get a you get some interest payments. The child tax credits go out. I'm um, telling you. I'm telling you. It's the, the on October 15th. There's a big payment, and then they have a cash surplus on this 
17th and 18th. You're talking to a guy who looked just looked at this data. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, like, and the, you're telling me I'm wrong? Is that what you're saying, Bernard? Tell me. I, 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 in mid-October, it's really the 15th that I see like the biggest you know, pressure point for, for cash reserves at the Treasury. Are you you think drop dead date is the fifteenth? No, 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 no. So I, oh. I'm just saying the what really what really leads up to that October twentieth. Uh, oh, I see. Uh, drop dead date is that you know on the fifteenth you get a lot of payments and that just really whittles you know the borrowing capacity under uh, under the debt limit uh, to just you know dangerously low levels and then we finally hit the you know the X date on on the twentieth. Yeah, X date. Everyone's calling it the X date. Okay, so all right. Bottom line. <clears throat> What's how nervous should we be here? What what what's going to happen? So I'm not nervous at all about a government shutdown. I'm a bit more worried about the about the debt limit. So with the government shutdown, the House recently passed legislation that would uh, fund the government past October first through early December, and then they paired that with a debt limit suspension. Uh, so, you know, suspending the debt limit through December 2022. So that passed in the House with, you know, I, I think it was a very, you know, it was a party line vote. Uh, I don't think you had any Republicans support that. And now it's going to the Senate where uh, Republicans have vowed to block it. Um, and I th I think the block the it means tactic, filibuster it, filibuster it or yeah, not, not to yeah, filibuster it. Um, okay. And I don't. You know, I think that the what Democrats were trying to do is, to, or what they're trying to do is to get Republicans on record that they're willing to risk a shutdown just because they don't want to raise the debt limit. Um, and you know, they're they're also trying to dare them to, you know, uh, block a package that would also provide hurricane assistance for Ida, you know, which affect affected red states like Louisiana. Um, and then there's also, you know, some some, you know, popular prov provisions that would provide, uh, you know, uh, assistance to Afghanistan, Afghani refugees. Um, but I still don't think I, I don't think uh, Republicans are going to cave. I think they're going to block it. They're going to follow through with block. With it means uh, just I want to make absolutely clear yeah, they're yeah, going to filibuster this. Exactly. Yeah, okay. They're going to filibuster this. Um, and then at that point, uh, Democrats you know they're they're going to have really have no other choice but to you know redo that bill just make it a clean continuing resolution that just extends the you know funding for the government through early december provides hurricane assistance you know uh, assistance to afghani refugees and so on and so forth but without any debt limit uh, suspension and they should be able to do it in time if not you know at the very worst in the I, next I, few I, days I, I, yeah, in the, in next the next few days. Yeah, next week, yeah, the next week. Next but week, they got to do that. Okay, so this is all going to play out. What you just described, this scenario is going to play out next week. And by the- Next week, yeah. Yeah, by, I don't know when October 1 is. I guess it's the following Monday. It's a Friday, I think. Uh, it's oh, it's on the next Friday. Okay, by- Yeah, oh, so yeah, that's, that's where, right. you know, we could potentially have a shutdown, a one-day shutdown. So, you know, yeah, on Friday, right. you, you get a shutdown, and yeah. then on Monday, the- you know, over the Reopens. weekend, you know, they they get together and you know they pass this continuing re resolution and everyone's back to work in the federal government uh, on Monday. So you know, if we were to get a you know in 2018, we did have a I think it was like a one or two day shutdown, and you know it's the economic yeah. effects of that is almost it's it's so on the market. Yeah, it's not a deal. It's, it's not going to yeah. show up. You really yeah. need to have two to to four weeks of a of a shutdown for that to to really show up. And even there, that's not a you know, that's not well, I think in 2013, and this is work we did back 
2013. 2013 was the last time we shut the government down, I think, for 16 days. No, no, no. No, wait. no, in no we lost 2019. But the, that was also... So, yeah, the, that, and that was the record long shutdown. Yeah, that was the longest yeah, shutdown yeah, yeah. we ever had. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, that's also the when we had the last real de- uh, debate over the uh, debt limit was 2013. And we com- combined with... Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it was yeah. Uh, government shutdown. So similar kind of environment as we have today. Where I, I'd actually say the the closest environment to the one we're today is 2017 because we also had you know on, on various aspects. So you had a uh, shutdown risk, also a debt limit risk. Then you had all the you know had Hurricane Harvey, Irma, Maria, and that there was a lot of pressure to provide aid there. Mm-hmm. And then also at that same time. Just like now, Republicans were uh, considering rec- reconciliation to tax the tax cuts and jobs act. So it was. But to, just were, to go back to the question about the economic impact of government shutdown, we did do a we didn't do a study on the 2017 or 19 shutdowns, but on the 2013, with, when the government was shut down 16 days, we found that it shaped almost a half a point off of that mm-hmm. g- growth in the fourth quarter of 2013. So, you know, it was. It was meaningful, small in the grand scheme of things, certainly in the current context, but, you know, not, not inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so the I think our rule of thumb is. Go ahead. Yeah. What is our rule of thumb thumb is uh, a tenth of a percent off GDP per week of a government shutdown. Oh, that, yeah. That's a pretty good one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's a pretty good one. So it's kind of easier to think about it on a week to week basis. How much is it? Yeah. It's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. Um, Okay. So the debt limit will not be part of the so-called continuing resolution, that's the short-term funding bill. You think they get that through. Republicans want don't want to shut the government down. That isn't great politics. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's money in there for, particularly because there's money in there for uh, Ida uh, hurricane uh, uh, victims. Um, so there, And so you're saying the debt limit increase will be then folded into the Reconciliation package. That's the three point five trillion dollar package that's before Congress. Exactly, exactly. And this is where you know this is something that you know uh, you and I dug into over the past couple of weeks uh, because the media really hasn't been talking about you know all the procedural hurdles it would be to do this through reconciliation. It's not as it's really not as easy as I think people think. So you know to start the reconciliation pa- uh, process, which is you know passing spending tax legislation with only a simple majority and in, in, with a filibuster proof, you know, a simple majority in the Senate, you have first have to pass a annual budget resolution, which is essentially is, you know, sets the priorities for fiscal policy over the next several years. Um, and you can only pass one budget resolution per fiscal year. So they've only, do, so they've already passed the, in August, they already passed the budget resolution for fiscal 2022. You know, they can't do another one. So they have to amend this current budget resolution um, and include uh, include instructions uh, to raise the debt limit by, you know, by a certain amount. So, you know, and this is where, you know, it starts, you know, and this is where the Senate parliamentarian who imp- you know, interprets the rules of the Senate starts to come in play. So, you know, if the parliamentarian says, okay, Democrats, you can make that uh, revision, you know, I, I'd say Democrats would be able to, pa- you know, pass a reconciliation bill that addresses the debt limit, I'd say in one or two weeks. Um, but this still assumes Republicans don't um, obstruct the process, you know, by denying them a quorum in the Senate Budget Committee or offering unlimited uh, amendments that really gum up the works. Um, but even in this case, I don't think Republicans would be obstructive. You know, while Dem- while Republicans don't want to help 
Democrats raise the debt limit, they're not going to prevent them to, from doing so. Because as I said, you know, they want Democrats to 100% own this debt limit increase so they can attack them in next year's midterms for being uh, fiscally uh, irresponsible. But then there's all this other scenario that, um, I, you know, wait I had a second, before you go on, before you go on, uh, the uh, one nuance here is that in this reconciliation package, mm-hmm. they, it's very unlikely they could actually suspend the debt limit like they have been doing for, mm-hmm. for a decade. They're going to have to increase the debt limit and it's going to be a big increase, right? It's yes, be, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And if they have to, and that complicates the politics of this even more, right? Because, you know, getting 50 Democrats, 50 Democratic senators to agree even without this debt limit increase is, you know, we're watching it. It's not easy, mm-hmm. right? Because you got yeah, folks, yeah. progressive Democrats, you've got moderate Democrats. Finding the middle ground is a is you know, as you can imagine, a process. And then you throw into the whole mix this: you got to raise the the debt limit, increase it, which is yeah. politically not a great thing. Yeah, it complicates it even more. So that I, does raise the the the, the uh, degree of difficulty. This is like a gymnast. Mm-hmm you know, on the parallel bars, you know, uh, and this is a high level, the degree of difficulty was already, I don't, I don't know what the, the numbers are, but let's say the 9.5 and now it's like a 9.9 kind of degree. Did exactly. I get that right? You get my, you get my drift, right? Do we have a Simone yeah. Biles yeah, exactly. senator out there? <laughs> well, and if they get the twisties, we're doomed, right? <laughs> right. We're doomed. Uh, so uh, do I have that right? Did I get that that right? Uh, yeah, you, you got that right. Yeah. Um, okay. Because I mean, if if they have, so if you suspend the debt limit, you, you kind of you know uh, you know wash your hands and walk away, and there you, you don't really know. No, no one can tell how long you know how much the debt is going to increase over that suspension period. But if you say we're going to increase it by a dollar amount, let's say by one trillion dollars, that's where next year Republicans can come at Democrats and say, hey, they. You know, uh, increase the the debt by one trillion dollars, and um, uh, and again, it's it's a it's a good soundbite that really hurts Democrats. Even though, as we all know, raising the debt limit doesn't approve new spending; it only helps pay for allows the Treasury to pay for bills that have already been approved uh, by Congress. Yeah. So it's it's it's. But again, that's you know that's too. That's too much for a soundbite in you know on, on the political trail. So okay, so, that's so where it's, yeah. So so you're saying I'm not worried because I do think this is the way it's going to play out. It's going to mm-hmm. feel uncomfortable. Come down to the ninth hour. To, what do they say? The tenth hour? The twelfth hour? Eleventh hour. Yeah. hour. I knew 11th there was hour. a number. Eleventh hour. Eleventh hour. And they're going to figure this all out, and you know life goes on. Okay. Uh, is there any though downside? To this, I mean, does this have any longer-term implications? If that's the scenario, the most mm-hmm. likely scenario, does that have any fallout? That yeah, scenario? so I, it, it basically it means that from now on, whenever a, a party is fully in control of the White House and Congress, and there's a debt limit uh, standoff, it means that uh, the the party in the minority is going to say, "I don't want to help you. I don't want to help." the majority out, you guys do it on your own. We're not going to be part of this. And so in that sense, uh, going forward, debt limit episodes are going to just, it's, there's not going to be any really will to uh, any bipartisan will to, you know, to help each other. And also, you know, it could also, you know, this scenario could also turn a darker turn. So let's say the parliamentarian who I, who I just mentioned, let's say they say, 
you can't actually revise the budget. Um, and there's the parliament has given some guidance that suggests that she may even actually rule against this. Um, mm. you, you could have a case where the vice president, um, who is the presiding officer in the Senate, actually overrules the um, the parliamentarian. And this would also be just a very rare occasion, you know, something that we haven't seen in, in, in decades. So that would also sort of set a, a bad president that I, I don't think uh, Democrats would want to. Yeah. So to what do. you're saying, just to reiterate is, okay, even if it, you get this, what you consider to be a reasonably graceful scenario, there's fallout because going forward, uh, the, the precedent has been set that the party in power is going to have to do this on their own, yeah. which means it's going to be the degree of difficulty going forward is always is now perpetually higher. Exactly. That means yeah. more uncertainty. And that may mean by definition, economic implications, higher interest rates, all, all, exactly. all that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Very unfortunate. Um, okay. And we did consider the, the kind of the darker alternative Senate one variation of of a darker alternative scenario where they don't agree uh, to, they can't figure it out for whatever reason. They can't raise the debt limit in time and uh, they do default. And uh, this uh, drags on through, you know, basically through Thanksgiving. That was a pretty, that's a pretty dark scenario, right? Uh, exactly. Hard to so, imagine. Yeah. So if we are right and October 20th is the drop dead date at which the treasury can no longer meet all of its obligations on time and in full, uh, because we run annual deficits, that means that you know on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the Treasury is going to have to cut its spending in order to match incoming uh, revenues. Um, and you know over this period, over you know over let's say from October 20th through uh, through through the end of November, revenues uh, the Treasury should we're, we're estimating that the Treasury should receive enough revenues to to pay for about 60% of uh, the p bills that are going to need to be paid but that's still a 40% you know decline in spending um, and you know it, based based on the math that we did you know that would that would equate to more than 200 billion dollars in uh, unpaid bills over this period of time which if you annualize it you know that comes to about you know a whopping 10% of gdp um, and this is where you get into all sorts of prioritization scenarios there is just which which are really you know impracticable or even illegal i mean or you know i i, I think you know the, it'd be easy for them to to prioritize interest and you know um, and and debt payments just because all that's managed through a different uh, computer system known as uh, Fedwire, but everything else is very highly computerized and you know it, it would yeah. be just technologically very difficult to say okay we're not going to be paying you know social security uh, beneficiaries this day but we'll pay you know uh, veterans benefits and just sorting through the millions of payments yeah. that go on each so, month is is just impossible so yeah so the i mean the, the the point is that you know going down the dark path is so dark there's no chance they're going to go down it that's what yeah, we're saying yeah, they're yeah, just not going to do yeah. it hey have you heard about this uh, trillion dollar platinum coin have you been following this that, yeah, that, that's I, I've been hearing that, but that's I, I what I've heard is that's well, impractical. Well, what is it? Enough. Explain what it is, and then tell me why you think it's a harebrained idea. I'm guessing you think it's a harebrained idea. Uh, so I think it's 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 as calling for the treasury to mint a, a trillion dollar platinum coin, which they would then you know use to deposit at the Fed. The deposit Fed at the would Fed, and then use that as you know to, cash, as cash to to, to get pay the their bills. Yeah. Um, you know, that's and apparently the, the parallel way the law is written, it, it actually says the treasury can mint a platinum coin of any denomination. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's actually there, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. it's actually there. 
but you don't, you don't, what, so let's say they can do that. Let's say they yeah. practically legally can do that, which I guess is going to still be a question. Someone, I suppose, will challenge it, but although I don't know mm-hmm. who has the standing to challenge it, I'm not sure, but let's, let's just say that it was challenging. But regardless, uh, when, why wouldn't that work? I, or don't tell me you think it is going to work. It's going to work. <laughs> I, I think again, it's. I, I think again, it's just a, another president that they don't want to establish. I, I, it's, it's just very. It's not you know, going to work, guys. It's not going to yeah. work. I'll tell you why it's not going to work because a global investor is going to see that and say, "Are you guys out of your mind? That's not sustainable." You guys, it's not sustainable. But it's exactly it, what we need to get rid of this crazy debt ceiling discussion every few years, right? We should just eliminate I, the debt ceiling. I think that's oh, the yeah. we should eliminate the debt ceiling. Oh, for that, yeah, no, I yeah. think global investors look at that and they throw up all over it. They'll say yeah. that's even worse because you guys are going to turn yourself into a pretzel to do that. That's just not. That's not. Gonna, and so it's not going to work. And at the same time, you destroy you destroy the uh, the, uh, the our system of government, right? Because at that point. President is complete. Can you imagine President Trump, I guess, could have issued a platinum coin to fund the, the building of the wall, right? Is that what we're saying? Yeah. Right? Chris, you're the defender of this po- policy. Yeah. 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 If that makes sense to anyone, that we the president can completely unfettered here, could do what, whatever he wants. So that completely are you blows arguing, apart the system cover. Are you defending the debt ceiling? Are you no, thinking, do you I think hate this the is debt a, ceiling. I said get rid right, of the debt so ceiling, but I'm not saying this get, is a mechanism to a spur that change, right? Oh, are you kidding me? This is going to do that. It won't spur that. It'll just just create even more acid politics. I mean, it, it it'll send us way off the rails. Well, you know, this is uh, it's, but I I've seen like I think Krugman endorsed it. I believe Paul Krugman, you know, the New York Times columnist, the Nobel laureate yeah, yeah. in economics. Yeah. So it's gained some traction, I guess. And it's got Chris over here as a convert. Ryan, do you have a view on this platinum coin? I think I think I think we lost Ryan. Did we so, lose him? Yeah. Yeah, he's frozen. I've got an improvement okay. on it though. Oh, well, okay. What is it? Two crypto. Trillion dollar. This issue crypto. <laughs> Two coins. <gasps> Two coins. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I like that idea. That's yeah, a great idea. In the conclusion, we wrote a paper on this going through the dark side scenario. And it's, uh, as I mentioned earlier, it's on that economic view. And um, uh, I just wanted to ask about the way I wrote the conclusion, what you think. I thought it was very eloquent. I, my, my own personal view. I don't know what you think. Yeah, about how this is, you know, the full faith and credit and, you know, defending that is, you know, really. Well, tradition. I brought up Alexander, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, Hamilton yeah. paid off the Revolutionary War bonds, hundred cents yeah, on the dollar. Yeah. Since that day, you know, he established the credit of the United States. It's, if you invest in the debt of the United States of America, it is money good. You're going to get your principal interest on time. Exactly. That has led to very low interest rates, lowest in the world. The, it's established the do, U.S. dollar is a reserve currency, and the benefits of this are incalculable. And we are going to give this up, uh, this all of this up for what exactly? B- because of a debt limit that never worked in the first place. I mean, it just it's just mind boggling. It's mind. I do want to make a point. So when the debt limit was originally conceived, I think it was around World War One. It actually was a good idea, and it did or it was an improvement upon the prior situation that gave more flexibility to the treasury to manage the nation's debt. And that's because prior to World War I, Congress had to approve 
each, you know, the dollar amount of every debt issuance, um, and as well as the purpose that that issuance would serve. So that was just a very, uh, you know, cumbersome process. So uh, around World War II, they said, okay, we're just going to put an aggregate uh, limit. And, you know, it's up to the treasury to, uh, to, you know, to issue the debt that it wants for the purpose that it wants. Um, uh, and then, you know, every now and then we'll, you know, when the debt limit needs to be raised, we'll, we'll come back and, you know, and address it there. Um, and, you know, I, I think until the 90s, this never really was much of a contentious issue, but it was really, I think, with um, when you had uh, President Bill, former President Bill Clinton going head to head with Gingrich, uh, who at the time was trying to push through his contract yeah. with America, which were, you know, spending cuts and tax cuts. That's where it started to become weaponized or being used as a political football, the yeah. debt limit standoffs. Hey, I got I got one proposal for you, though. How about if we... And then we'll call it a podcast. How about if we, uh, it's a law was changed, no debt limit, at least as currently uh, designed structure, but with each spending or tax bill where the CBO, the Congressional Budget Office, the folks that uh, do the forecast here on the budget determine that there's going to be a, a, a deficit as a result of the, of the spending or tax bill at that point in time with that legislation Congress and the president have to agree to raise the debt limit sufficient to pay for what they just voted for. That that I to me seems reasonable. That's the best proposal I've I've, I've seen. Yeah, because, because oh, the whole idea is that by the time oh, I thought that was my proposal. What the heck? You seen that proposal? Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, no, I, I, okay. uh, yeah. Okay. Committee for yeah. Responsible Federal Budget. They've put out. You know. No, no. There's really it was theirs. That was their idea. I think it's yeah, it's it's, a it's been around, it's been out there a lot, yeah. been around. Okay. So, yeah. and I, I think again, in a in a alternative universe where there's a lot of where there's constructive debate over budgets and fiscal policy, I think that would be fine it, because it would matter. You know, as soon as people are making changes to taxes and spending that are going to affect the long term, you know, debt trajectory, they're going to have to, you know, they're going to see the implications right right away on the debt limit. Um, uh, whereas now it's, you know, it's so, so after the fact, you know, by the time we're dealing with the debt limit, all these decisions have already been made yeah. know, years or months ago. Well, uh, so bottom line, we're saying, uh, we're going to get it, uh, a funding bill to keep the government open. Maybe it's closed for a day or so, mm -hmm. uh, that we are going to get a debt limit increase and that'll be part of the reconciliation package that the mm -hmm. Democrats, uh, get through ultimately, uh, through Congress and signed by the president. And um, uh, and then we'll get the reconciliation bill. It won't be 3.5 trillion, but it'll be something we're, you know, still a matter of, you know, a debate, but say two, about two and a half trillion. So at the end of the day, uh, uh, this is, this is, you know, not pretty to watch, but it's, it's not going to be, a, uh, it's not going to change our forecast in any way. That's our yeah. forecast. That's where we land. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, uh, you know, the United States of America, I, I, uh, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, and I guess I was until the last episode, but uh, I, I, view the, I view the United States of America as the Lannisters. We pay our debts. And, you know, to even contemplate not paying our debts is, is just plain dumb, just plain dumb, because it's going to cost us as taxpayers and, you know, American uh, households, just the economics of it, uh, it's going to cost us a, a lot. And, 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 you know, not, not for a little bit of time for generations, right? Cause it took us generations to build up our credit and get us to a place where everyone trusts us. By the way, the only beneficiary of this in my mind 
is Chris. You know why? Crypto. His crypto is going to be oh, worth more God. because this debases the value. It, it goes right to what the crypto guys say about fiat currency, about, you know, look, these guys are going to screw it up because, because they can and they will ultimately screw it up. And, and that's why you need crypto because you know, people aren't involved. They can't, they're not going to be able to mess, up, mess with it. So on the day, if we ever defaulted on our, on our debt, that's the day crypto goes to, what is it now? Forty thousand dollars, it go to eighty thousand dollars, or something. Like that. Maybe that's the reason to invest. I'm not sure. Yeah, this is this is uh, Janet Yellen will save the day. Yeah, Janet Yellen will save the day. Okay, all right, guys. Uh, I promise this wasn't going to be the marathon that the last one was. It, uh, we we have been chatting for a bit though. So, any last words? Anything anybody wants to say? This goes. This that does that offer does not extend to Bernard. He's not uh, permitted to answer that question. Because then he'll start speaking in Arabic or some other 10 languages he knows. Uh, anything? Ryan? I think we're good. We're good. Chris, Until you good? Yeah, good, good to have Thanks. you back, Chris. I missed you. Thanks. You, you're here. back with your Howdy Doody shirts. You know, we needed the, we needed the, the little Howdy Doody shirt there. <laughs> I'm telling you, right? I'm like, am I just, look at Howdy Doody. How is this a Howdy Doody shirt? <laughs> Button down collars and, you know. <laughs> You know, blue and anyway, I'm only joking. Uh, I missed the teasing. So, all right, all right, all right, <laughs> listener. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Uh, give us ideas. Go to Economic View, not Economic View, Economy.com. Go to Economy.com. Click on the Inside Economics button and vote. Hey, I, I I just had a debate on ESG investing. The proposition was ESG investing is uh, will undermine the Amer- American economy. I. I, I did not support that proposition. I was against that proposition. How about that for a topic? That's kind of cool, huh? Should we have that Great as a topic? topic? All right, listeners, if you think that's a good side. topic, let me know. Right. Well, that'd be a good to debate that one anyway. All right, take care now until next week. 